When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. I am John Pollock, along with your favorite, uh, your favorite Rogers employee. Well, I should say customer. Wei Ting is with us. How are oh, you, Wei? Yeah, no, the best. My favorite company. Uh, who doesn't love their cable company? Of course, right? Who 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 doesn't have like? Who doesn't send Christmas cards to their cable company? Who wouldn't invite a Christmas company to their wedding? Uh, sorry, cable company. Did I say Christmas company? I mean, it can it can be all in one. I mean, they're okay. very uh festive my, as well with my, some of their deals. My point is, who doesn't have incredible, you know, um, glowing experiences with their telecommunications company, right? You, yeah, yeah. Uh, most of all, me. But yeah, no. Um, uh, how, how did your visit go? They were finally supposed to come today. What did, what did you tell them when they finally knocked on your door and came in? Were you polite or were you just happy to see them there? <laughs> let them get to work and then all is all is forgotten because the problem has been fixed after all this time. So we should we should catch people up. There's some people who who aren't patrons who didn't listen to this on uh, the saga of my um my cable installation um that we detailed on Rewind of Smackdown, but uh, I've since moved into a new place and um, I've had really spotty reception in certain parts of the house, so I've scheduled for appointments for people to come in to like install like what they call a mesh network, which is basically like an extension. John, you have that in your place. So um, originally, it was this was supposed to take place on Wednesday. Uh, waited for a solid two hours during the window. The guy calls me at the end of the the window, says, "Hey, we don't have this part available. Can we reschedule for tomorrow?" I'm like, yeah, that's that sucks, but it's understandable. Let's reschedule for tomorrow. Tomorrow comes. I wait my same window. This window was probably three hours. Never a call. Not even a courtesy call. Hey, we're running late. Nope. Nothing. Simply nothing. So I call back that same number and the guy's like, oh yeah, the part still hasn't come in yet. So at this point, I'm pretty pissed off. I mean, we're talking like five hours of my my life that I've like sat here. I mean, I wasn't just sitting here. I'm doing stuff, of course. But still, it's like five hours of anticipation that I just, I've lost. Um, And so... I'm not happy, you know, and you don't want to, you don't want to see me when I'm not happy. You don't want to. I've seen it. (laughs) Anyway. I've I've been the recipient of it at times. Well, very rarely, John, very rarely. But I mean, uh, (laughs) I I didn't have very kind words for him, but it ultimately ended with a rescheduling of the appointment. And the rescheduling of that appointment was supposed to be Monday today uh, from 2 to 4 p.m. And thus, um... Not that I had a ton to do today, but still, come on. I I scheduled my 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 period to sit down here for two hours, be in the house, uh, just to make sure that I'm here for this appointment. And again, two hours passed, not a phone call. So, um, what would you do right now in this situation? I would call them up, and I would explain the problem, and I would say. I have two instructions here, okay? Number one, you go to hell. Number two, I'm going to bell. Um, 
I, that Hang sound, up. That sounds <laughs> sounds pretty badass. Um. Anyway, it, it, does it, I think that rhyme sounds better than uh, "I've got grit, I will not quit." Oh, I w- I would have ready to cut a whole Alistair Black promo on him. I'm like a man locked in a cage. Okay, and <laughs> I should have just don't like, have a signal. <laughs> I should I should have just like done that promo from last week word for word. Would have really fucked them up. But anyway, I've I've got them all saved. I can send them to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But you know how it is. It's like you'd call somebody and the person that's dealing with you is like based all the way out in some other country. Has nothing to do at all with the people that are supposed to show up here. Um, nonetheless, my case has now been escalated to the senior division of technical support at Rogers. So I was ass- I've been assured that Ted Rogers himself probably will be dealing with my case, installing a Wi-Fi extender in my own home. I want Ted Rogers himself the original to come in here into my room check my wi-fi signal make sure i get five six bars ten bars um i i won't be happy until well, that happens well you may be waiting a long time for the ted rogers to show up because that is literally impossible anybody i want a roger okay the man must must be named roger i need i need multiple rogers I need at least two Rogers to show up to do this for me. Well, Way, we're all thinking about you. I, I hope that this problem resolves itself. Uh, in the meantime, I'll feel 80% bad for you, but 20% entertained by your retelling of these uh, horrific stories. So do keep us posted. I will say, right so far, our Skype signal has held up wonderfully well, so maybe I wouldn't even need this by the end of it. But I've, we've had... We've had really spotty, like, people don't know the amount of stitching that goes to, towards, like, putting some of these shows together, but hopefully I'll have none of that after this. Yeah, we're almost at the stage where we're going to be doing uh, Morse code to uh, communicate with one another. But, um, yeah, lots to discuss on tonight's show, so uh, let us move on. Uh, later on, we're going to get to uh, some of our thoughts on the TakeOver card from Sunday. We'll go through all of Raw, take your feedback, and... Yes, at the end of the show, we're going to chat a little bit about the WWE's debut episode of their new, I put this in the grandest quotation marks, documentary series, Ruthless Aggression. I mean, some documentaries could have elements of fiction attached to them. Maybe maybe dramatization might be more accurate. Maybe Um, out of thin air, (laughs) uh, conveyed to some as reality that is the furthest thing from it. Uh, All of that and more to come. But off the top, Wayne, I have an announcement to make. I know many people have been asking us what what is going on WrestleMania weekend. Yes, there are some shows going on. Yes, the WWE is running a little card at the stadium, but everybody wants to know what what is the real pillar event of the weekend. Well, it is happening on Sunday, April the 5th, WrestleMania Day. It is post-wrestling live in Tampa. Wayne, I will be live at the Art Institute of Tampa's Atrium. This is going to be in Tampa, just minutes away from Raymond James Stadium. And tickets for this event will be going on sale this Thursday at 10 a.m. You can go to postwrestling.com slash live, or you can just click on the button on postwrestling.com that says live in Tampa, and that will take you to the site where you can purchase your tickets Thursday morning, 10 a.m., and we have... Pretty much two uh, sections of tickets that you can get. Uh, the first one 
is the VIP ticket, and that comes with a VIP lunch with Way and I. It also comes with a commemorative uh, post-wrestling live in Tampa shirt, as well as entry into the Q&A, a meet-and-greet with us after the show. And on top of all of this, folks, if you are driving to WrestleMania, uh, it comes with a parking space at the venue where we're going to be at, which we said is is walking distance to the stadium. You get that spot the entire day. So that's a nice little added value that this venue is providing us. And then we have the uh, regular ticket that comes with the, the Q&A, as well as access to the meet and greet afterwards, as well as a, uh, a drink bar as well. So uh, you can go look at that. And again, Thursday, 10 a.m., tickets go on sale at postwrestling.com slash live. And we hope to see many of you in Tampa. $5 off for all patrons. As yes. usual for all of our shows. So you'll be getting a code for a discount probably on the Wednesday evening before the tickets go on sale. So uh, if you're a patron, do look out for that. And if you're not a patron, consider signing up. It's $6 a month to sign up. And it's $5 off one of these tickets. So if you're just going to sign up, buy one of these tickets without a patr- patron code, um, you're you're an idiot. You're as big of an idiot as WWE says all of you people who are still buying pay-per-views for full price are. And that certainly hasn't bit them in the ass yet. So, uh, yeah. Check it out, everybody. So <laughs> post-wrestling live in Tampa. I'm looking forward to this. We'll be doing our, our regular uh, Q&A show where uh, we usually go about 90 minutes or so. And then uh, a meet and greet right afterwards. Uh, if if you people are not sick of us by then and uh, want to hang out afterwards. And uh, we should go over the time as well. It's going to be starting that day on Sunday, April the 5th, uh, noon. Uh, doors will open uh, just before that at about 11.40 a.m. And then we'll be there from uh, noon until 3 p.m. Uh, in the venue. Plenty of time. Uh, as we said, we're very, very close to Raymond James Stadium. So if you're going to WrestleMania, uh, super convenient. And if you're driving, um, a spot to park if you select that option with your ticket. All right, let's move on to this week's schedule. Uh, just quickly looking over what's coming up on Tuesday night for patrons. It's the return of Rewind Away. We are up to number 55 in our dramatic... What a what a chronology of events we have reviewed over the past uh, two plus years. Uh, this week, we are adding to the library. It is the 1974 film, The Wrestler, starring Vern Gagne, Billy Robinson, and Ed Asner as promoter Frank Bass. It's a film that um, I've, I've heard talked about. I mean, I, I consider myself somebody... We, we've reviewed this way. We have? I think so. You're joking. I'm You're... pretty sure we have. Are you sure about okay. this? I, I, I reserve judgment on that. Someone, uh, Multiple people are going to message us by the time they're listening to this. Maybe I'm confusing this with I have seen this movie. So I only assumed it was because we have reviewed this. We have not reviewed it. I believe it's been requested. But I mean, listen, okay. I could be wrong. But I'm pretty sure we haven't. Okay. You might be right. I may, I may have watched this uh, just for no reason, which I, I don't know why. We're really at that point. And that, that, that really uh, it goes to illustrate my point, John, that I, I consider myself somebody who's pretty much watched everything that has to do with wrestling that's out there. I am pretty sure. I've never watched this thing yet. So this will be a lot of fun. It's like, it's, it's something that has, it seems like it's, it's a really one of like the first real fictitious documents of like, I don't know, like a fictionalized form of, I guess, a fictitious professional wrestling. But you know what I mean? Like a movie about pro wrestling. I am, I cannot wait to talk about 
the man, the myth, Mike Bullard. Not who's the, pretty uh, much Vern Gagne playing Vern Gagne uh, under yeah. this uh, different name. But he is going to teach us all about the philosophy of professional wrestling. It features, I would say, like, especially for 1974, some like pretty interesting like commentary about, you know, um, pro wrestlers speaking up against like its perception in, in like the mainstream. Yeah, at a time when it was very guarded, um, despite that that criticism and how it was approached in this film as well. So we'll be diving into that Tuesday night for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. That will be available uh, regardless of uh, your level on the Patreon. Wednesday night, we've got Rewind to Dynamite and Up Next, uh, which we can also mention that Braden and, and Davey, oh, I wrote on the schedule here, Up Next with Braden Harrington and Braden Harrington, which would be just an insufferable show. Um, Davey Portman will be joining one Braden Harrington, and they also do their show live uh, every Wednesday night, 10.30 p.m. Just look up uh, YouTube.com slash Up Next if you want to uh, watch them live, see them uh, in person doing this show. Thursday, we've got the Cafe Hangout live at 3 p.m. Eastern time for all patrons. Uh, joining us this week will be Kristen Ashley from the Bell to Bells website. We're going to be chatting about uh, launching her own site, uh, just the, kind of the state of women's wrestling at the moment, and whatever else is going on news-wise this week. So look forward to having Kristen on for the first time and then opening up the phone lines, whatever else uh, people would like to discuss on Thursday. Open phone calls, as usual, on Thursday. On Friday... British Wrestling Experience, Jamesy, is going to be interviewing uh, Riptide Wrestling's owner, Josh Bevan. So the latest in the Jamesy Chronicles. He's done some outstanding interviews over the last couple of months with uh, Daniel Maccabay, with David Starr that got uh, a ton of praise. So this will be his uh, latest interview this Friday. Uh, Friday night, it's Rewind to SmackDown with myself and Way. And then Sunday, WH Park is joined by Mike Murray for the latest Thunderstruck chatting Jushin Thunder Liger versus Black Tiger 2 from June of 1996. So uh, the whole schedule is up at postwrestling.com. You can check that out. Uh, some fun shows this week, some great guests. So we look forward to all of this. As always, yeah. Always a packed week. Never a dull moment at the Post Wrestling. Yeah. Network. When there is a dull week, I will I will, list, I will literally put that in the title. Post schedule, dull week ahead. But we've never had one. So yeah. a couple news items uh, for today. Uh, nothing uh, too crazy here. Uh, MVP was on Booker T's radio show over the weekend, and he confirmed that he is coming back as a backstage producer. And this was hilarious because he did this interview, I guess it was over the weekend, and <laughs> said that, you know, he's not sure if he'll be back on screen. He's certainly open to doing more on screen, but we'll, we'll see. And then tonight, well, he's back on. I wonder if he really knew at the time. I bet you he didn't. I bet you he found out um, probably today when he got to TV. Perhaps, yeah. Uh, so really interesting, yeah. The fact that, you know, he showed up at the Rumble. Um, I don't know how many of us thought that that would turn into a backstage role or even any sort of extended role. But look at what it's turned into, a full-time job as well as multiple TV appearances. I mean, this is what, three weeks now since then. So uh, quite the comeback from somebody that I really didn't ex expect to be talking to talking about at this point. Yeah. And, you know, I think he could really bring um, a real like helping hand when it comes to promos with a, with a lot of guys, too. Like even in the environment where, you know, talent has to, you know, they get scripted, but 
how you can deliver it in in such a way that can hopefully differentiate yourself. I think that's always been a strength of MVP's character, especially, you know, just, you know, watching his promo last week. Um, I, I think he could be a great help in, in that sense as well. So he is the latest producer added to WWE. AEW has announced that, so we've got Double or Nothing on May 23rd at the MGM Grand Garden Arena, and then they're going to stick around and do Dynamite from the same venue in Las Vegas that Wednesday. Uh, what do you think about that idea? And do you, um, knowing now that there's not going to be a star cast for this particular um, Double or Nothing weekend, that to me, I, I really feel AEW should have maybe had their ducks in a row for this and announced both of these dates ahead of time for when tickets went on sale because this would probably make a difference for people of am I buying an individual ticket to go to Vegas versus I can make like a mini vacation out of it go there for a few days but is this enough that you would want to go all the way to Vegas for a Sunday or a Saturday and Wednesday um, combination not for me personally, because I mean, I'm somebody who's been to Vegas many times and I re- I'm one of those people who I think three days in Vegas is too much. You know, um, I I certainly can't see myself spending, what is that, five days? That's a lot of time it, in Vegas. It's a big gap. It's a, It would be one thing if it was a Sunday night pay-per-view, I think, and you're coming back Wednesday. That's less of a gap. But Saturday to Wednesday and it's not like they've announced anything in those in-between days that I think they should. I think they definitely should have a bunch of stuff going on around town if all the talent's going to be there for all those days. Like, I think all of this should have been announced as like double or nothing Fan Fest week or something in the place of StarCast that it's sold as a package to people that are considering traveling for the pay-per-view and then it comes with all this other stuff so you'll stay in Vegas for a few days. But it just feels that... I can't imagine too many people wanting to go to the pay-per-view and stick around for TV on Wednesday. I think it's also such a come down to like go from a pay-per-view to a go-home show like several several days apart. I feel like it would – and I, I wonder if they would have had it this way if they, they could have. But to go from a Wednesday Dynamite in the same town to leading up to a Saturday event, that gap's smaller and it's also a bit mm. more of a build-up. But, I mean, I imagine that might have probably been at least the first consideration, Wednesday to Saturday rather than Saturday to Wednesday. Um, I, I completely agree with you. That, w- that would have been the better um, sell to people, I think, the Wednesday going into Double or Nothing. And then you've got, you know, thir- a Thursday and Friday in Las Vegas is a lot more attractive than Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. What What is the place that they're running for the edition of Dynamite? MGM Grand. Oh, my God. Well, well I was going to say, I mean – you know, um, if it's a if it's a different venue, there's there's definitely still a chance that I think they'd be able to do really well just based on local attendance. Um, but I, I maybe I have a bit more concern considering like most people who are locals are probably going to the Saturday show, and if you're going to a bigger event, there's less incentive to go to a smaller event after that. Um, but still, I mean, it's a hot company. Maybe they do something really great on that show that really requires people to like the locals at least, you know, or people in the surrounding area to like drive over to, to the Wednesday show to see what's up. I think they could like still do well if, if like the, the, sh- the, the program's hot and the show that they're announcing is really great. But um, I definitely like maybe have a little less optimism. Well, someone who's uh, I guess got some optimism about his future in WWE is Shelton Benjamin, who announced on Lillian Garcia's podcast that, he has signed a new multi-year deal 
with WWE. He goes on to say that uh, (laughs) – he says, I like to inspire people, and lately I haven't been doing much as far as on-air with WWE. And for me, it's just frustrating. So then he goes on to tell Lillian, so when you contacted me and wanted me to do this interview, my first thought was like, I don't even know what I would talk about because right now I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything that's fulfilling to me. I'm here every week. I'm ready to go. For me, it's like when I watch shows like this, I mean, the show's called Chasing Glory. That's Lillian's podcast. People are chasing something. Right now, I don't feel like I'm even in the hunt. Not that I don't want to be, but I'm not. That frustrates me on a very personal level. So, damn, he's what, freeze- what a promo. Holy shit. <laughs> he's like, awesome. yeah, but I've signed up for a few more years of this. And then tonight, he's on main event. He's teaming with, uh, he's teaming with, uh, Eric Young losing to Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder. Hmm. And I'm just like, I'm asking why on both levels here. Like, why, why are you committing if you're WWE to more years with this performer, when you clearly see nothing with him and conversely as Shelton Benjamin, like certainly there's the the monetary security of working for the biggest wrestling company, but it seems like he's not all that happy where he's in. It just seems like to me, if you're WWE, like why are you resigning all of these guys? If you have no plans for this guy, who's a 44 year old and he's just taking up a spot like that to me, what's, what's the logic in this? Well, I mean, I think I don't know if the, this is going to change, but clearly the directive has been, you know, thus far to not let anybody go. And I think they've seen I have to imagine they've seen like the success of somebody like a Dustin Rhodes, somebody that they pretty much put in the same position as Shelton Benjamin, someone who they probably considered way over the, the hill, but didn't really have anything left to offer. And look at how much how, like how much great stuff he's done for AEW at this age. I Maybe it's it's that same fear of not wanting anybody to leave for fear that, you know, they can be a valuable asset to somebody else. Um, I don't know how much they're paying Shelton, but like maybe compared to what they're making, it's it's a blip. It's a drop in the bucket. Uh, it is. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's just you're talking about a company now that has like roughly 300 people under contract. You have so many people at the performance center that, that aren't even on TV yet. It's just like you have all of this talent and to me it's like okay you see the Dustin Rhodes example well the next step from that is well what talent do we see here that we're clearly missing something with and they have not demonstrated that with Shelton Benjamin and to me it's I I don't really agree with this idea of like we're just going to stockpile all these guys that we have no plans for that are just going to be here Every single week, it would be great if they had a super idea for Shelton. I'm not against someone that's 44. There's per- plenty of capable people at an advanced age that can do this very, very effectively. But they've they've shown no interest in doing anything with Shelton from the time he's come back here to his his biggest break was spotting a fly on the wall as he stared at the camera. Like that was where did that go? I have no idea. I, I actually would would love to know what that whole thing was about. God, it was um, he watching like the the time left on his deal at the time? I, I have no idea. I can't believe it's been that long. How long has he been, like? How long was his current deal? How long has he been there? When did he, he return? Ca- he came back at the brand split in 2016, oh and then God. he got he got hurt or he what he had some existing injury, I think, and that took him out for several months, and then he came back. So I think he's been. 
pretty much on the road for, I, I would guess, over two years at this point, probably two and a half years. You're right. It's been I, a while. I, I mean, I, I certainly do feel like there, there's value in having a veteran who you can rely on to, like, you know, have matches on main event to help your younger guys get experience on the road. Uh, surely, you know, maybe the promises of a future coaching job are there for somebody like him. He seems somebody perfect for, for a role like that. But I mean, it sounds like from, from these comments in the interview, he doesn't want that yet. It sounds like he wants to still be an active performer. Um, and in that case, I mean, I'm not exactly sure how much he's expecting to, how many chances he's expecting to get in the, under this current company. Yeah. And, you know, on the house show front, I mean, this guy, granted, they have, they have drastically, uh, cut back on their house shows. This guy has not done any house shows this year. He last did house shows on the European tour, which is last November, and has done like six matches this year, and wow. that includes the Royal Rumble. So he did. He did a. He lost to Alistair Black on TV. He beat Akira Tozawa on main event. He lost to Cedric on main event. Did the Rumble. Lost to Cedric on main event. Uh, on February third, and then he did tonight's match. Well, okay, let's say, let's say you're 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 Shelton, and like the WWE has no room for you on either Raw or SmackDown main roster. If you're not like okay, main event out of the question. Can you see any other places within the WWE system for him? Any of the of their other shows, whether it be it be NXT or Two Hundred Five or UK or anything else. You could put him on any of those shows. Um, I, I don't know. But, yeah, but like the problem you could... is the nature of those all of those shows is bringing up new talent. We've seen like, you know, guys go back. And unless you're somebody with the star power of a Finn Balor, you're really not going to be booked very strong. You'll, you're going to be booked like Tyler Breeze. You know, you're on a descent and you're there to help guys that are coming up. And there is a value in that for these younger guys to work with people that are better than them, that are more experienced. There there are certain guys that could have those roles. It's just WWE has not really exercised that with some of their older talent of, okay, let's we're re-signing this guy. What what do we want to get out of this deal? What are we paying for over the next X amount of years that we've committed to Shelton? Are we going to put him on NXT UK and he's going to work programs with guys who who have less than 300 matches, guys that are inexperienced. Um, you know, if, if there's a game plan, I'm sure that Shelton Benjamin is not a very difficult person to make happy, but just present me with some kind of plan. And it just seems that you're signing up for more years of this. And it seems like oh, <laughs> you're announcing that you've resigned and you're clearly not happy with where you are. Um, but you're, you know, probably it was, it was probably, you know, a good enough offer that he could not walk away from. Yeah, obviously. Anyway, those are your news items uh, for the day. And we'll transition over to Monday's episode of Raw, which saw us in Everett, Washington. And we started off the show with the promise of a sermon with a photo of Rollins with animated candles. And then we transitioned to an angry looking photo of Becky Lynch with the caption, Becky bites back. Yeah, they've um do you like that? I like it. Look at all that alliteration. Becky, Becky bites, bites back. back. Yep, I was ready for three hours. <laughs> this is uh setting up my evening. Randy Orton comes out, they recap the attack on Matt Hardy last week, and he said the no holds barred match is not happening after last week. Hardy is in the back trying to get cleared, 
And he said the Hardys are known for jumping off the highest of highs and hitting the lowest of lows. Matt walks out in a neck collar and he still wants to know, Randy, what the hell is wrong with you? He said that Randy tried to take his passion away from him and he said he's going to fight Randy, but the doctors won't clear him. And he tells Randy, just like Edge, I have grit. I will not quit. His future will not be determined on Randy's terms, as he mentions that his future is in question. And he gets into the ring. Orton respects him. He says, Matt, you've got balls. But I also respect Edge. I love him like a brother. And he just shakes his head and says, I'm truly sorry. And Randy leaves. He walks up to the top of the ramp. And then he slowly takes his jacket off. And Hardy is all ready. He's grabbed a chair. He yells, finish me, Randy. And he goes to swing the chair at Randy. Misses. The neck gets snapped on the top rope. And Randy hits him with the RKO. And this crowd starts chanting one more time. (laughs) Of course they they are. They can't help themselves. I mean... Nothing at all wrong with Matt's performance here, but this crowd was not playing along. Oh, it's the coolest move they got. I guess. Um, Then he just beats down Matt with more chair shots, takes off the neck collar, sets up for another concerto, but he hesitates. He goes to leave, and then he returns, and he takes Matt down to the floor, places his head on the steps, and drills down the chair for the concerto on top of the steps. The cutaway to the different fans. One woman was just in horror at this. Uh, One was laughing, but the cutaways were pretty great here. And then he comes back and he does a second one. And he's just shouting, I'm sorry. And Randy leaves. So this was like 20 minutes to start the show that this was drawn out over. And it's going to be really hard for them to figure out a way to get Matt on next week's show. (laughs) Yeah, wouldn't that be great? He just shows I, up. I, I, I fully expect. Uh, I won't say fully expect, but it's at worst 50-50. He's back next week. Yeah, I guess they can add like you know some like black eyes on his face. He'll be in a wheelchair a with wheelchair. the – they're just going to make it a joke. Like he's in a wheelchair, black eyes, the neck brace, uh, arms in a sling, and then Randy's going to, I don't know, drive him off of like a, a cliff. Run him over a car. Yeah, it's like Wiley Coyote with him at this point. Um I don't know if the plan was always this or if they were actually planning on doing a match. I'm not sure what the hell that like or if last week was actually supposed to be the write off or what. But I am still glad that we got this segment because I thought this was another really great segment provided if you enjoyed last week, which I think everybody did. It provided very much more of the same. A great impassioned speech for Matt Hardy, really showcasing like Matt's ability to cut a serious promo, which I think is a side of his that we really haven't been exposed to much in recent years. It also, I would say this week, called upon a bigger performance from Randy Orton. And, you know, much like he's been doing this entire storyline, I thought he was like next level horror movie villain here. The way he does something, then stops short of finishing it, leaves, and then surprises you again by doing it anyway. It's just so much fun to watch. And he did this probably three times. Like he was about to do the RKO, then leaves, then comes back. Then he's about to concerto, then leaves, then he comes back. And then he's about to... It's just like... I, I, I think it's such like tremendous crowd manipulation and such tremendous character work. And I get the feeling like to me that he's actually like a legitimately scary heel, which I think is so rare in wrestling these days. He's not like you have actual horror movie characters, OK, like the Fiend or like the Dark Order or Eric Rowan and none of these dudes 
like come close to being as legitimately scary as somebody like a Randy Orton. So, I mean, as a, as a type of, of, of heel that legitimately like inspires fear in children, even some adults, like I, I really appreciate it. So he, he was great. I think the, this last month has been just Randy's best work in years. He is so engaged in this feud. He's one of the best things in, in WWE at the moment. And he's doing this angle without his, dance partner on TV at the moment. So he's really been carrying this thing. And Matt Hardy's been great as kind of this um, fill-in for Edge while he's gone. So I think it's been great utilization of Matt during this uh, kind of swan song for him. But uh, again, it's like you, you look at some of these guys that they they had nothing for Matt for all this time. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you give him a, a microphone. This guy's great. And it's like, how many of these people are, if you just give them some, something engaging, something to really sink their teeth into the performances you can get out of people. And, you know, if, if Matt was, if his contract was not up, would he even be in this role? I mean, it's questionable. He may not. For sure. Yeah. I feel like in their minds, or at least like, I don't know, as part of their philosophy is, you know, we have so much, only so much TV time. And they only choose to give it to people that they feel like they can invest in so that they can, you know, reap the benefits of in future, like people that they can plaster on the side of their trucks. And if you're not, you know, somebody who's already of a certain star level, like a Matt Hardy, unfortunately, unless Matt, Matt is probably on one of those trucks. What am I saying? But um, if you're on the way out, it just it feels like they just don't see any reason to invest any sort of TV time into you unless it was just for like a non-speaking role. So. Um, I also wanted to credit WWE commentary here. I thought they were tremendous because they're completely silent. And <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I still feel like it's something to be commended. I think that's something like WWE Vince McMahon main roster stuff always nails for these serious angles. Like just, there's no level of acting that any announcer can perform that'll match like the feeling of stunned silence. And I think they always nail that. Uh, and that's more than I could say for other brands like NXT or New Japan or AEW where, I mean, sometimes the announcers like talk and they try to act out like the, the serious reaction coming off of like a big angle like this. And it just takes it away because there's, again, like there's no performance you can give that could match just silence. So WWE's best commentary is best when it doesn't exist. It was a fantastic non-call. Eric Rowan and Alistair Black. Um they got uh, some time here. They went through a, a commercial break after uh, Black went for his moonsault off the buckle to the floor and got hit with a running cross body. Rowan threw him into the barricade, dumped him onto it, and then Rowan got hit with a Hurricane Rana, sending him into the post. Then we had back in the ring, Black hit him with a flying knee. The Black mask gets caught. Then Black stops the Iron Claw with a back elbow counters the iron claw and then a black mask dazes Rowan as he's against the ropes. So black has to hit a second one, which keeps Rowan down and Alistair black wins in seven minutes, 44 seconds. And he didn't speak no promo this week. So I don't know if that means anything or if they just didn't have time this week, but yeah, no, no promo, unfortunately for, um, to our disappointment, but maybe for, for the betterment of Alistair black, this God, is- maybe he's preparing his sermon. Uh, ooh, you think so? That would be, yeah, maybe. Um, this was an interesting matchup to me since like both men have been given these like undefeated streaks lately. And because 
Black has been typically paired up against larger men. So this was like really the first time he's been playing underdog against a larger guy. So um, it almost came across to me like a week where they finally decided to give like Alistair a meaningful win. This wasn't just another squash that we'll all forget. It was him against a bigger undefeated opponent that was supposed to like be meaningful. You know, he wasn't just the expected victor, even though to most he was. I thought it was pretty much all successful. I, I, I do feel, though, that the king perhaps wasn't given the memo that black should have been treated the underdog here because he like he was calling this match as if like he didn't know who was going to win as if like Rowan winning would be the upset, which I think ultimately just took away from like the feeling that this was a hard earned victory from Alistair black. Yeah. Needing the two black masses to do it. And, you know, obviously they, they are keeping Alistair very strong and I guess he's a, it's a question mark. What, what is his mania direction? Yeah, I mean, I'm expecting, you know, he feels like an IC level guy right now, which is fine. Like, there, there's plenty of room for for him to grow, and the, the top mix is pretty much taken up right now. But, like, you know, some sort of, like, mid-level championship seems like, you know, it's a good fit for him. Um, which is more than I could say for Eric Rowan, because I would say this match gave the indication that I think their hopes are only so high for Rowan at this point. He's positioned now clearly at a level below Aleister Black, and I think that's rightfully so. Um, because I would say right now he's more, he feels more like a low mid card kind of, I don't know, sideshow gimmick rather than somebody who seems to be destined for a main event role. Yeah. I think the, that was kind of the indication coming out of the Royal rumble, the way he was treated. It kind of seemed like the, um, the ascent for him was kind of done. They promoted Velveteen dream and Roderick strong for this Wednesday's NXT. Charlotte flair came out and she talked about remembering training at NXT in a warehouse and her class built the foundation that is now a third brand in NXT. And she is sick of the entitlement of those who did not scratch and claw their way up the system. And how she was uh, not respected by Rhea Ripley. Um, who came geez. out to hold up the belt that she made famous. Yes. And she was the one who put the title on the map. Said Rhea is very good, but pride comes before the fall. And she will humble her at WrestleMania. Now that all of this is set up, I, I think we can look out pretty clearly that I, I don't know why we did the Charlotte Rhea Ripley stuff two weeks before we had to, unless we had just had Charlotte come up with some creative ways to delay her decision. And then the first interaction was last night at TakeOver where she shows up and that place would have lost their mind at Charlotte showing up and attacking Rhea Ripley when no one, uh, I'm sure there would have been speculation about it, but that would be the first interaction between the two in this lead up to the WrestleMania match. Certainly. I think that would have been a better, I don't know, flow of story. Um, The problem I suppose was filling those like two, three weeks of like Charlotte not naming her, her opponent. And I'm sure there were creative ways of doing it, but I guess they, they didn't want to do it that way. Maybe they wanted to have the benefit of Charlotte appearing on their TV on NXT for several weeks. I'm I real- think that was the, that was the, the key reason um, yeah. was just getting her onto NXT television earlier than, than necessary. But um, I, I just think that it could have been just maximized for more impact at this point. If we had had say Charlotte um, show up on Sunday and then she could do this promo tonight and then announced she's coming this Wednesday to NXT, and I think it would have made it that much more to um, build it up at, at this point. It just felt like you had two weeks of um, 
I don't know. It just didn't feel it like killed, a to me. Big, it killed that match, like the Belair versus Rhea Ripley. Like I, I don't, you know, I don't think for a second anybody felt like Belair had a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the match was really good, um, I just I think it killed the suspense of that one, and I maybe kind of made the build towards even that match kind of awkward. Um, was it worth the sacrifice? I'm not sure. Not sure. But well, I, yeah, sorry. Well, and on the other end of things is the Raw women's title match at WrestleMania. They have now announced for Elimination Chamber on March 8th is Shayna Baszler, Asuka, Natalia, Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, and Sarah Logan. So that's another very similar problem, I would say, in that I think it's such a clear direction who is going to come out of that one to challenge Becky that there's very... There's even less suspense, I would say, for this elimination chamber than there might have been for Rhea Ripley versus Bianca Belair. Um, you know, which again is like, you know, they went with this decision to have Charlotte win the Rumble instead of Shayna. Um, yeah, but you know, all these pieces, like you move them around, it's see how how would that have played out? Okay, let's say Shayna wins. How do you get the Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte? Otherwise, well, you would have probably had to have. Well, you still could have done Shayna winning the Rumble, and then you've you've set up Shayna and Becky. You can do their angle coming out of it. You know that's your your big Raw Women's Title program. Yeah. Charlotte is the finalist, and everyone's assuming she's going into the Elimination Chamber. She could have shown up at Takeover. You still get to her and Rhea Ripley, but you have to come up with a compelling reason of why Charlotte is going after this. NXT title, so you do need you do need a story there, but I mean it's not that far fetched from the story they have now that here's the Rumble winner going after the NXT champion, and then Elimination Chamber is left to your SmackDown women, where I think you have more spread out options from Carmella and Sasha, Lacey Evans, Naomi is in there. I mean that's four right there. It's sorry, what, at did, least- what did you mean when you said Charlotte would be the finalist? Charlotte would be the finalist in the Rumble that Shayna eliminates last. So it's like she comes out of it as kind of the runner-up in the Royal Rumble and feels like slighted and is going to find her way to WrestleMania a different way, and that leads her to Rhea Ripley. So she would just show up on NXT just to challenge Ripley without really necessarily earning the shot? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, of course they could have done that. They could realistically do anything. Uh, For whatever reason, they chose this, you know, and it's... It makes for a bit of an awkward elimination chamber, but uh, or or you could you could still go about the same way where it's Charlotte complaining about losing the rumble and Rhea still shows up and challenges her, and it's Rhea that is challenging like Charlotte Flair for a hmm. WrestleMania match. Yeah, which yeah, is kind of what they right. did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know they did this, so this is kind of what we're left with, and I, I feel like we kind of have to. Like it feels like we're we're on course now. Like this is maybe what uh, what we should really be judging this feud on, based on like how it starts tonight. And I I will say I thought I I really enjoyed this short promo from Charlotte. I liked more specifically I would say her reasons for choosing this match. Her reasoning that you know Rhea Ripley uh, doesn't respect Charlotte as somebody who helped directly pave the way for her success. Whether or not you think Charlotte is right, I, I think it's sensical, like logical motivation for a match. Riddick Moss, Mojo Rawley, and R Truth for the twenty four seven title. 
Moss retained the title, and then he ran through the crowd, and then Mojo went after our truth Truth hit him with the scissors kick. Yeah, Truth, for some reason, was, like, doing Cena's moves. Like, I know he's been doing, like, the Cena thing, actually, probably for a while, but now that, like, Cena's actually coming back, I don't know if this was, like, hinting at something more, or if it was, this was just part of his regular bit, but... This was like, man, this was a 24-7 match that they didn't even give him, like, name keys. You know, the match just starts. <laughs> nobody took this seriously. And it's Riddick fucking Moss that ends up, like, leading this thing. So I, I still don't fully know who I'm looking at whenever Riddick Moss is on my screen. Like, it takes me a second to remember. Oh, oh yeah. Like, that guy's name is Riddick Moss. Like, he's just so awfully generic. Like, I don't, I don't ever think, I like, somebody would be underqualified for a run at the 24-7 title. But I think Riddick Moss is pretty underqualified for a run with the 24-7 title. Like, at least the celebrities, like the Fox analyst or, like, whoever, at least they have some sort of star power. Drake, Maverick, Maria Kanellis, like, at least they offer, like, comedy and, like, entertainment. But Riddick Moss is, like... Riddick, like, he's, like, he's like amnesia winning the belt. Like, I just forget completely everything he's a part of the moment it's over. So, I... Everybody deserves a shot, yeah, but, like, I've seen, like, several weeks of this guy now. I just, I don't, how, why is he, how, how is he, like, how did he make it out of the PC, and, like, how, how is he even, like, a part of this run? I mean, to, to this guy, I mean, he was just throwing up here completely cold. Like, what is there to tell you anything about this guy? He's, uh, he's played football. He was the he was the blocker for Mojo Rawley, and he's turned on his his guy within two weeks, and we don't know a thing about this guy. He hasn't been given one promo. There's not there's not one thing a fan can sit, can tell you about Riddick Moss. Not a thing. No, no vignettes. Nothing. I mean, I don't know like what the long term plan is, or if they're just kind of going like week by week. All right, you keep it this week. You give it to. I'm not sure, but. Um, I'm sure they have the the Riddick Moss Bible that's uh, mapped out through October. Yeah, maybe. Um, But yeah, like, clearly zero effort is being placed, at least on the on-screen presentation. I'm not sure what they're doing online. Maybe online they're telling, like, like on .com, they're telling this, like, wonderful, wonderful, deep story. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure it's uh, award-winning. Drew McIntyre comes out. He says it's 48 days until WrestleMania. And since he said the word, he's got to point to the sign, but he's got to do it more impressively than Charlotte just did. So he gets all the fans to point at the sign as he does the Claymore countdown. And the then Claymore he no- countdown. They've, they've named it now. Yep. Yep. Uh, he says that Suplex City is located in Claymore country and they are invading it and demolishing it to the ground at WrestleMania when he becomes WWE champion. Yeah, wow. Um, it's a country declaring war on a city in, in inside of its country. I'm sure that's happened, hasn't it? H- historically? Well, I mean, I, it just seems like it's some civil unrest within Claymore country. Uh, yeah. Paul Heyman comes out, pretends that Lesnar's here. Of course he's not. It's Everett Washington. And he rehearses what it will sound like when Lesnar retains his title against Ricochet and Drew. 
Drew fires back about kicking Lesnar's head off. And then Lesnar says, I'm not here to debate you. And he introduces MVP. MVP comes out. He cut a promo on him, thought they were old friends, and compared Drew McIntyre to Billy Connolly. And that set up their match with MVP hitting him with a running boot. Drew comes back with a boot, rips the tape off his nose. Future Shock DDT, the countdown, and it's the Claymore for the win in a minute 12 from Drew McIntyre. Quick squash. I mean, it seems like, you know, every single week they're they're giving uh, uh, Drew somebody to squash. And last week I thought went really well. So why not run it back here with MVP actually getting beat up uh, by Drew? Um, I I like that they, again, gave MVP some mic time because this really just could have been, you know, another Drew talking segment with MVP already in the ring. Claymore done. But they had MVP talk here. And I thought it made a difference for this match. I like how he, you know, criticized uh um drew for like cheap shotting him last week before he did it himself at the start of this match so i i think you know um he continues to like showcase his sharp sharpest attribute which is nice i wonder if this would be it for him but we shall see N- never count these guys out they're very resilient yeah yeah i guess randy orton could maybe use him next i'm not sure matt hardy mvp i mean these guys they they have nine lives and then some to spare you know, I, I think these weeks have been good for Drew. His personality has been com- coming across. Even though I I don't know about you, did, did, I found him pretty obnoxious, actually, a little bit. He's bordering on ob- obnoxious some weeks. He does, but the, the audience is into this guy, and I think he, he makes the most out of a lot of his material that he's he's connecting better than most in this spot. And they're they're coming up with like all the goofy like names for everything. We've got the Claymore Countdown. We've got Claymore Country. I mean, it's... God... It, it it is the full on WrestleMania babyface branding for I'm, for this guy. I'm just amazed that he's getting the reactions that he, that he's getting because I just, man, I can't see most people saying things like that, doing the three two one thing, and getting that sort of reaction. It's, I mean, good for him, sure. They aired a promo for Goldberg showing up on SmackDown this Friday, and. Then they recap the biting angle with Becky from last week, and she comes out with a brown paper bag. She says that she has found fame and fortune, and she's learned what to do with fame. She doesn't need it. And her fortune, she decides to start taking out money from this bag and dropping it all over the mat and said that this is her paying her fine up front for what she's going to do to Shayna Baszler. It's a down payment on violence. Bad things are going to happen when I find her. Only animals go for the neck to weaken their prey before they end them. And she lists off all the names she's knocked off, including Rhonda. When Shayna appears on the screen and notes that she's in the Elimination Chamber match, which happens to be a cage. And you know my background? I was a cage fighter. And that's where this match is taking place. It's set up perfectly for me to beat you at WrestleMania. I did not plan to do what I did last week. It just happened. But imagine the things I do have planned. Becky, I'm going to tear the living shit out of you. And Becky says that she's going to be rooting for her at Elimination Chamber. And Tom Phillips informs us that, yes, Shayna was an MMA fighter. So will this match be decided on... Elimination Chamber Control, perhaps um, some, you know, uh, wall walking, 
Maybe we'll see like a Pettis kick off the cage. Yeah, this is uh, you know, with all the potential challengers for uh, for John Jones, like maybe maybe this is what they got to do at light heavyweight is you know get Dominic Reyes in there, Jan Blahovich, give Corey Anderson a second chance. Are- we should have the referees saying like, "Don't grab the the fence, don't grab the fence in this chamber match." So I I think the. Uh, like here, here's the deal with Elimination Chamber is that next week is Super Showdown, and then there is one episode of Raw to promote the Elimination Chamber. That's how fast of a turnaround it is. So they pretty much had to announce this match now so that you at least get a few weeks to build it up. But, man, does this one feel like the the ultimate of foregone conclusions? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so on the men's side of things, though, we're, are we even getting at one? Yes, there will be a men's match. Okay, on SmackDown. Yes. And that and that one's, you know, unless there's a gigantic change. I mean, these ones seem pretty much like this event is about Roman Reigns and Shayna Baszler winning their matches. Yeah, the SmackDown one, I think, will really have to be strong to carry this, this show. Um, and otherwise, it seems like it'll have to be a two-match show unless, like, they get a special attraction on that one. But this this match, I mean... You know, I think there's going to be some interest in like seeing Shayna Baszler perhaps like uh, get this title shot, I suppose. But mm. I mean, there's an argument to having the Elimination Chamber be, you know, it can't be super short, but Shayna kind of just running through everybody and not letting this one go 25 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Her taking everybody out, being responsible for all the eliminations, I think actually could be kind of cool. Even if like you're not that interested to like go go into that match, uh, but the result of it could be could be pretty interesting. Um, I was actually in this segment hoping for a bit more of an explanation about the out of character neck bite. I mean, Shayna pretty much just said, "I didn't plan on it; it just happened." So I don't know. I guess this is just like their way of doing a shocking attack. <laughs> Did you hear Paul Levesque on the uh, conference call last week? No, uh, I, I saw the notes, but yeah, yeah. He was asked about Shayna appearing on Raw in the attack. And he said, yeah, I learned she's got some really sharp teeth, apparently. <laughs> so this is her official call-up. I mean, where last week was. Uh, this, Yeah, it seems like it. Like, I, I can't see, like, Levesque said on, on the call that it was kind of like, wasn't sure where, where she was slotted but th- this to me is she's on raw moving forward she's got I, no I, presence I, on nxt now there's nothing on nxt like to me this is this is it yeah yeah um from there we had bobby lashley and lana backstage with angel garza and selena vega lana called them the two hottest couples teaming up for a monday night double date and vega had to inform them uh, that they are not a couple. They are here for business. And Garza added that no woman can tie down this ladies man except for the woman I proposed to on TV like two months ago that NXT showed. That's a totally different universe. Doesn't exist here. No. So we had the tag match uh, with Lashley and Garza against the returning Rusev and Umberto Carrillo. No mention of this brutal parking lot brawl that Lashley and Rusev had that took them out of the Royal Rumble. But I guess they're they're healed. I totally forgot. Yeah. Did we, did yes. they film it? Nope. I don't think so. Cause we never saw anything. They was, that was the, that was the reason given why they were not in the rumble that day. Uh. Tom Phillips just casually asked Lawler and Saxton 
if they remembered that Rusev divorced Lana after learning she had cheated with Lashley, and now the two are married. Like, just the most awkward exposition to bring everyone up to speed on what's gone on for after this break in the storyline. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you haven't seen your friends in about four or five weeks. You, you're just catching them up. Yeah, sure. Garza tore off the pants and tosses them at Lashley. And then on the floor, Garza waves this woman from the crowd to come kiss him. I, I think it's a great addition to this spot. I mean, I don't know if the, if it's just like this week or if it's going to be a weekly thing where he strips the pants and then goes to the, the, the pants and the plant. He'll go to the strip the pants and then go to the crowd for the plant to kiss him. Um, I think it, it, it just certainly makes him stand out more. Okada needs to try this or, or Taichi. Oh, that'll be interesting. Well, Taichi already has Taichi's uh, taken. Yeah. They went through the, the commercial break. Uh, Rusev got the tag and just ran wild. Um, Carrillo hit this twisting dive to the floor, and then Lashley speared Carrillo. Rusev then drilled Lashley. We go inside. Rusev hit a diving headbutt on Garza, only gets the two count. He avoids the accolade, and then there's a machka kick to Lashley on the apron while Garza rolls up Rusev from behind, hooking the trunks and pinning Rusev in 9 minutes, 53 seconds, and then Rusev attacked Garza after the match. Uh, the crowd got heated here, when, especially when Rusev got involved with the hot tag. It was, a, it was a match that was a lot of fun. Great energy from the crowd and the performers. Carrillo just looks so awesome, in particular when he's in there with Garza. I really like watching these two working together. Obviously, you know, uh, being cousins, great chemistry. I look forward to seeing more. Uh, I look forward to seeing the singles match between these two. And I think this match also showed that despite the long absence, despite the storyline, Rusev is still over as fuck. Like, this audience just doesn't really care that he's sort of been the forgotten one in this Lana Rusev storyline. They still want him to be the main character. So, I don't know what's going on with him. Like, clearly... They're kind of devaluing him. He's been ignored after this, like, a cuck angle. He took the pin here. Um, I don't know, but the crowd still certainly loves him. Well, he's in that gauntlet match at Super Showdown. Yeah, do you think he's going to win that? No, probably not. No. Natalia versus Kyrie Sane. The Kabuki Warriors came down and cut a promo with Asuka mocking the black eye Natalia received several weeks ago. She shouted that we don't care. And then Asuka said she's going to beat her inside the elimination chamber. Easy peasy. Yes, that's right. Yeah. You know, these like promos aren't more than five to six like basic words, but I think they're great. It's all reliant on their very loud, obnoxious and charismatic delivery. And it works. So, I mean, they, they certainly proved me wrong. They found a successful heel formula for these two. Sane charged, uh, charged at her in the corner and got hit with a discus lariat. Natalia tried for the sharpshooter. Asuka distracted, allowing Sane to knock Natalia to the floor, where Asuka hit her with a head kick, and Natalia got counted out in 4 minutes and 52 seconds. Short match, you know, not at the level of Asuka versus Natalia from a couple weeks back, if that's what you're looking for. Uh, it really just kind of feels like it's a stepping stone to continue the build to Elimination Chamber, where uh, Asuka and Natalia are, are participants. Um, I just kind of like see all this and I, I just really hope after the chamber, you get some sort of acknowledgement that these tag team titles exist because it just feels like, like we've had nothing involving them for a long, long time. Yeah. It seems that this could 
be Natalia gets a partner maybe to go after these two for the tag titles. I guess so. Sure. Ooh. I mean, you could go back Morgan. Um, yeah, it's like you've already done the reunion of Natalia and Beth, so I don't know if that's really fresh for WrestleMania. Those are the kind of ideas they typically come up with. Um, I could see them just... doing some sort of multi-woman match like like they did the, the year prior, but you can definitely argue that the value of those belts have, have dropped significantly since like when Sasha and Bailey had them. How many matches are we going to get at WrestleMania? Are we, are we looking at like 17 or you, something? You know what? They've always talked about defending those belts in NXT. So why not like do that match at TakeOver you know, with Asuka and, and Kyrie? Um, yeah, there's no shortage of women down there that you could have as a makeshift team for um, for Kyrie and Asuka. If you're going to like have anybody be a part of any sort of featured match, like I think that the women in NXT are like way more like interesting than anybody on raw well our next segment we had the whole ring decorated for seth's sermon murphy and aop are in there and i just knew this thing was just gonna drag and i was not wrong they introduced seth rollins who came out he said the powers that be branded this segment a sermon he did not name it that They completed phase one of their movement, vanquishing Joe Owens and the Viking Raiders. Phase two won't be easy to, it won't be easy as they seek out the weak and non-compliant. They will find the flaws in the system, rehabilitate them and eradicate if they must. This is the gospel. I, I find this character now to just be, I just think it's really, There's so much potential when you get into, like, a dark character using religion, and this has none of that. It's just... Oh, dude. This is what he's doing. Oh, There's nothing, nothing like, that's um, taboo. There's nothing, like, he's tapping into, uh, like, a dark religious level. There's none of that. It's just... I don't know. I'm so tuned out of this right now. Feels like he's doing, like, a generic impression of a preacher... At like a drop-in improv class, you know, like he's one step away from like holding like a prop Bible, and it's just it doesn't work for me because I feel like there have been so many similar characters in wrestling that have done it so much better, like you know, uh, Punk in the Straight Edge Society, even like a Bray Wyatt, like fuck, even like Daniels, like Slick, the Pope, like people who do the preachers like way better than I think seth rollins because it just doesn't necessarily come to me like it doesn't feel natural with him unfortunately it feels like a guy just doing an an impression um but i will say i thought it drew good reaction from this audience though viking raiders came out so they were not uh vanquished last week rollins bails on the disciples so that's kind of the story here is that seth continually leaves them for dead Owens then appears on the ramp to stun Seth. And then after the segment, Rollins set up a six-man tag with AOP and Murphy against Owens and the Viking Raiders. Mm -hmm. OC come out. AJ is back after the shoulder injury. And this is all about uh, building up AJ now for WrestleMania. He uh, is told by Anderson that he is at his best when the WrestleMania sign is up and they dub him Mr. WrestleMania. Styles calls himself the greatest star of any roster of any era. 
He does have critics, but after he wins this gauntlet match in Saudi Arabia, no one can say anything. This is going to be the pinnacle of his career. And after he wins that match, he's going to ask, who's next? He said it could be Lesnar. It could be Drew McIntyre, Ricochet, The Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Sting. He rattles off the names of the NWO. And then Ricochet comes out. Um, now, first of all, I mean, it's it seems like tailor-made here that this is this guy goes through, the guy's in the gauntlet, and then the gong sounds. And that's our lead-up to WrestleMania at that point. Well, if if you think Taker will actually make an appearance? Because it's Saudi Arabia, I could see him actually appearing at that show. And do you think they would do that unannounced? I mean, you can't really announce him ahead of time if you're doing this surprise at the end. Um, I mean, they, they they could wait till they get back here. Um, but, you know, those Saudi Arabia shows, I mean, Taker's been on – God, has he been on all of them? Um, I, I could much, see, just yeah. Just because it's Saudi Arabia, yeah, I, I could see – the lights go out and they're in that stadium. It's it's Undertaker. Yeah, I guess I'm just a little surprised that they wouldn't announce it beforehand, even you know um, if it if it is Saudi Arabia. But I think it'll be a cool moment, you know, if the, if that were to occur. Uh, I the, them purposely like you know throwing in uh, who's next in there and then listing all the other names. Feel like we're like purpose purposeful um, misdirections. You know. Yeah, um, I think so. And. Sure. Yeah, I think I mean most people. I suppose listening to this know it's it's going to be AJ versus Taker, but let's see how they take us there. Ricochet comes out and he says, "No one." Uh, the OC tells him that no one believes he'll be WWE champion. He hasn't earned his shot. They laugh at him, say when he brings up beating Brock Lesnar that he plans to do, and then challenges AJ to a match. And Carl says he can't let AJ's first match back on Raw be against this guy. So Carl Anderson accepts. Yeah. This third hour, dude, I thought was, I don't know. This was like a 90-minute show that was spread out over three hours. They they all are. I, I've said of late that I feel the pacing of Raw has been better, but this third hour to me was just... Okay, well, um, well, listen. Let, in in this particular case, let's let's like think about the fact that Ricochet is the guy challenging for your your main title on well, the next big show, and I think that's as much of an indictment on, I maybe the the status of Ricochet, where I don't think anybody buys that he has any sort of chance. And this is not because you know there's a, well, yeah, this is this one is also because there's another challenger lined up for him, so. I mean, it's 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 a house show, and Ricochet just happens to be sort of like the local guy challenging this week. This week, yeah, I I don't think they're looking at this as I don't think they even view Ricochet as a quality of opponent worthy of a substantial buildup for this paper. Yeah, like uh, yes, we could do a big sit down and look at his career and what this shot means, but I don't think they're looking at this match to have that kind of investment because it's not designed to be something big. They also teased, teased you here with Ricochet versus AJ, and if they were serious about Ricochet, they would actually have him beat AJ Styles clean en route to beating Brock Lesnar. I don't see them doing well, that. Well, what we don't we we don't know, I guess AJ's status. Like he, for for all we know, he may not be cleared yet. That's what I kind of read from this too. Okay, well, I guess in my mind, if you're serious about Ricochet, you would have him beat somebody perhaps higher on the totem pole than Carl Anderson. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, you could have found 
you know, other people. You didn't have to be linked to the OC here. It could have been someone, someone else. Um, yeah, the match went seven minutes here. Um, AJ clotheslined Ricochet during the break. Um, uh, so the fact that AJ did like some physicality here, that would suggest that he's, he's probably fine to go. Um, Anderson is in control. Gallows and AJ get ejected. And then Ricochet makes the comeback, misses the 630, takes a spine buster, comes back, super kick, and the Benadriller to win in seven minutes, which um, I thought I had took it, taken a Benadryl during this last hour of Raw. Oh, man. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, it's as, it seems as much as they're going to give Ricochet on route to facing Brock Lesnar. Um, next week is the, the final segment. <laughs> next week is the big the big go home show for yep. Super Showdown. Yes. Charlie he'll be, he'll be, is with, he'll beat Luke Gallows, okay? That'll oof. get him ready for Brock Lesnar. Well, you know, Gallows and Anderson both lost to Drew McIntyre. Do, do you think they would do they would go so far as to give Ricochet both of them? I, oh, I don't God. think so. No, I don't God. think he's that that's a WrestleMania squash. There this is only a super showdown squash. Yeah. Charlie was with Liv Morgan, and she asks Liv about Ruby Riot's assault. On your character. And Liv was excited to see her close friend return. It was one of the best moments of her career when Ruby walked out. And then Ruby betrayed her, tossed their friendship aside, and said, Before, it would have broken me, but I'm not that puppy on a leash. I have found a home in my own skin, and I'm stepping into the elimination chamber, eliminating Ruby Riot, <laughs> and with a straight face, moving on to WrestleMania. I think we've been very complimentary towards Liv Morgan and this new character, um, but this was a a mouthful. This um, dialogue in those segments, in those vignettes, which were again very well produced. Uh, I had so such high hopes for the character because I think, um, yeah, it just seems so intriguing and so interesting. But everything she's done since she's debuted on TV again has really like completely like not reflected the. The vignettes like in some way they are because what she's grown up now she's independent but then she comes out and she's first she's the lesbian lover of lana which is you're not supposed to remember that okay fine but then what what is what about this even like her reasoning for not being heart heartbroken now is because she's no longer a puppy on a leash um I don't know. I guess in some way this t- ties into that. I can't say it's all that compelling. And I mean, when you're calling, it's, like the, it's the Britney Spears song. She's not a girl, not yet a woman. You know, I've always listened to that song. I felt it would make a great storyline for a professional wrestling match. So I, I, I just, man, I like. Th- on top of that, it's it's. It's the acting ability, which is just like in this segment, I thought was pretty cringeworthy. She got through all her lines. If like that's sort of like your base expectations, but to like um, to consider whether or not this was a good performance, I I don't think it really was. Um, you only get better with the experience, and they clearly see something in her to give her this this type of role, this type of airtime. So hopefully, she gets better really fast. But to me, this was like not TV ready type of like wrestling speech and then with like 25 minutes left in the show we started the entrances for the main event and listen i have nothing against these performers but i do feel this story it it does need to escalate in some form or fashion 
if we're just going to be throwing these guys out to kill 25 minutes to end the show, that's really what this felt like for me. And when we got the finish that we did, it was that much more frustrating. So it's Murphy and AOP against Owens and the Viking Raiders. They got the heat on Eric to such a degree that the crowd in Everett started chanting, we want Rollins. They made the tag to Owens. He woke the crowd up. And then as he's in the middle of his comeback, they just fade to commercial break. There is no throw. It just, boom, we're in commercial. I think they missed it. I guess so. Because we come back, Owens is getting the shit beaten out of him. Ivar comes in. He attacks everybody. They are into Ivar's offense. Um, Eric uh, drives Ivar into Razor in the corner. Then Kevin Owens comes off the top. And the match I want this year is... Kevin Owens versus Jeff Hardy so that the announcers are forced to call the same move two different ways because it's a swanton for Jeff. It's a senton for Kevin Owens. <laughs> well, um, like, I guess it's one of those, you know, when, when one guy does it, it's a certain, like when Taz does a suplex, it's a Taz plex, but anybody else doing it, it's something else. Okay. So this is just a senton, but we call like, the regular sent the senton is an actual move. Well, the, the okay, you're right. Yeah, um, like what uh, Tegan Knox did when she. True. <laughs> my favorite call was when she did the the running senton onto Dakota Kai into the trash can, and she was in so much pain. And Nigel McGuinness took the words out of my head of why didn't she just kick her? It was wonderful. Yeah, you know, uh, you're gonna have to ask them about that. I, I don't know why. Why? Why is it the Willow's uh, Willow's Bell, and then why is it the, a draping DDT when somebody else does it? So there's a pop up power bomb to Murphy. Aka makes the save. Viking Raiders dive to the floor, and then Murphy takes a stunner. Owens has it won when Seth Rollins runs in, and we get the DQ finish. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean. Listen, uh, again, the crowd I thought was really good for this entire show. Like, just just stay in the in the in the Pacific Northwest. Like, they 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 are fantastic crowds at, at, at all three shows that they've done uh, thus far. Uh, so I thought the end of the show was pretty hot. But I mean, come on, this was like this was pretty much the dark match that they decided to put on TV at the end. Uh, yeah, you know, it was just a match for the sake of having a match with no build up whatsoever, and then a non finish on top of it. So. Um, no need to watch it. I would say no need to really watch the entire third hour of this show. Yeah, I completely agree. Rollins said, if this is what they warned about, and if you get in front of progress, this is what happens. So maybe this is a warning to all the uh, people anti-progress wrestling. <laughs> then he just casually mentions he's going to crucify Kevin Owens. They're going to nail him to a cross. Thank God the Street Profits were there. They ran in. Rollins backs off again, leaving the disciples to get beaten down. Stunner to Razor, and then Montez Ford and Ivar did uh, simultaneous splashes off the top. The height that Montez Ford got was incredible, and that ended the show. So he probably came like a full second, like he came down a full second after Ivar. You had somebody oh, who he would- got up so high yeah. on this on this splash. It looked really incredible. Um, so, yeah, the Street Profits are now in this mix, too. So I don't know what all this uh, culminates with, um, but I don't know. It just needs to progress in, in some form or fashion at the moment. I'm, I'm not that, that big into the Seth Rollins character at all. 
Me neither. Me neither. And I, I mean, I feel kind of weird saying that because, again, it received really good reactions live. You know, both that sermon thing and also this main event angle. But like watching on TV, like it, there's just it's just such a generic preacher gimmick, complete with like uh, uh, the crucifixion tease. You know, um, maybe if it was like 1990, I think it would be somewhat like unique. But like we're talking, you know, after everything that we've seen, we just saw it. Didn't we see like a similar we saw a dog food crucifixion with like Roman Reigns a week ago or t- a month ago? Um, just seems to me like they're they're doing stuff that's pretty, you know, old hat at this point. Um, That was Raw, I would say this was a step down from previous weeks that I think Raw has really been hitting its stride of late over the last month. I thought tonight was uh, more of a detour away. I found this to be a pretty taxing show at times. Um, Strongest stuff to me on this show, uh, the Orton-Matt Hardy segment, I think, was far and away the best thing on the show tonight. And beyond that, I would say say the first hour moved at a a decent pace. Fine promo from Becky. Um, the rest, it, it was a large holding pattern to me was this show. I mean, we didn't see a whole lot new coming out of this. It's almost like we've got this super showdown card in the way, and then we're going to have this lightning quick build up for Elimination Chamber that we have one show to build up. And I think everyone's just waiting to get through these two shows because the Mania card, I think most people know what all the big matches are, and it's like the audience feels a few steps ahead of where the programs are at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I would say watch certainly uh Randy Orton, Matt Hardy. It was like 15 minutes of really great stuff. And uh, of course you got to check out Bojo versus truth versus Riddick Moss. It's a fantastic match. Best three way. Those three have ever had together. Yeah. Tonight's episode of raw on the forum gets a 4.83 and Paul from New Jersey writes, This Randy Orton stuff is pretty peculiar. Matt Hardy has no friends in the back, and this crowd had a certain amount of bloodlust I can really appreciate. I find Charlotte's rationale for challenging Ripley pretty weak. No matter what anybody thought of last week, I thought Becky Lynch hit one out of the park tonight. A down payment on violence was a great line. Kyrie Sane was also also quite colorful tonight. I like her. 5.3. How much money do you think was in that bag? I mean, a down payment on violence... um, had to have been, what, five grand? Did she have to take out a loan? A mortgage? Probably got one of those uh, payday loans. Terrible interest rates. Um, finally, Brandon from New Jersey. None. Oh, people, he's back. People just aren't watching Raw, it seems, or at least they're not, not watching enough to leave feedback for us. So Brandon from New Jersey closes us out saying, Greetings and salutations, my guys. Been a minute since we spoke, and I want to say Hello. Hello. <laughs> Good show tonight. Good crowd as well. This weekend for the WWE for crowds has been good. Are you guys shocked by this? Is it market reasons? Maybe. I don't know. What do you think, John? Uh, I think that this week, I think they had um, they had a really good night on Friday with SmackDown. Like they sold out Rogers Arena. That's tremendous. I think I, I think it's just a starved part for for like big shows. Like they go to the Pacific Northwest, but having TV and the Takeover, I think that that really helped like important stuff going to uh, a part of the the country uh, Canada slash US that is really starved so I think that helped he says anywho fun show what do you make of Drew's shirt with the sword in the place of Brock's knife phallus tat 
He referenced the shirt. I just didn't get a good look of it. I, I didn't realize it was Brock's sword that he has on there. Let me see this. Drew McIntyre. WWE shot. Let's well, Brandon see. goes on to uh, write, how far can Garza go? This guy's charisma is tremendous. I agree. When do you think they will debut Killer Cross? Uh, who would you put him with? And he goes on to ask about the Diego Sanchez fiasco from this past weekend. Um, Killer Cross, I I think he's a perfect guy. I would run that first vignette the night after Mania. And I think he would v- he would very much benefit from some vignettes, much like Impact teased before he debuted there. I, I think that would be the way to go with Killer Cross, his series of vignettes before he shows up post-Mania. Would you have him be a solo guy or would you pair him with somebody? Because I think he would be great muscle for somebody who could like he could talk himself certainly, but like him, he, he's got that fantastic look, and he can do the promo when necessary, and you can build up to that. Um, like he's somebody yeah. I would consider with like a a, a manager or somebody like just some sort of like a mouthpiece or or somebody by his side, if anything, just to show off like in contrast how big he is. You know, somebody smaller like a Drake Maverick by this point, unfortunately, is a bit of a kind of like a joke character, but. Um, yeah, like, and, and I personally, I, I hope he goes right to the main roster. I hope like for creativity's sake, he goes to NXT. Cause I think he'll well, be better. I think he'll, yeah. he'll be able to like, develop I, I'm saying himself that because I, I see him like ready for, you could throw him on raw and I think he could be a player right out of the gate. Well, yeah, but I'm thinking about longevity, you know? Yeah. He could be a player out of the gate, but then he could just be Bobby Lashley two weeks later. Well, that's that's the risk. I'm saying, you know, all things being equal, like SmackDown could greatly use him as a babyface or a heel, and I, I would go the heel direction with him. Like Roman could have a great extended program. He he needs somebody uh, after Baron, and it's true. Me, but but I mean, he's going to be tied up with the Fiend for months. But um, Killer Cross is like a great kind of post Mania opponent or something to get to. I I, I could see that pairing. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. I, I, I think, I just, in my mind, I feel like guys have better chances at, at longevity if they really take their time to, like, stay within the system. Maybe, like, you know, slow cook them in NXT before, like, cashing in on, like, just a, a title run right out of the gate on Raw. But, you know, you he could, could... He could be feuding with Matt Riddle, and by June, we've got a shirt that reads, <laughs> Killer Cross makes you jump, jump. <laughs> Uh, very good. Will you buy that shirt? I won't, but... Uh, the, the Bobby Fish shirt. Oh, the Bobby Fish shirt. I, w- I won't be buying that. Do, oh, okay. do you feel that it's it's run its course, or do you, was it still funny? I think they killed it on the weekend. Um, I thought it was funny before that, but I thought, like, the karaoke thing, like, doing the graphics was, like, a little too much of, like, WWE being in on the joke and almost, like, encouraging it so much that it doesn't feel cool anymore. Yeah, that's... It's it's like an organic thing that just kind of it was if you were there in the moment it was really cool and and then you're just trying to recreate something that was cool for its its moment. You know now it's almost like you know the applause button or like the applause sign. It's like you're uh, and on topic of shirts, I am looking at this new Drew McIntyre shirt. It's kind of cool. It's it's a sword. I mean, which is a claymore, as we found out. A sword is also is called a claymore this type of sword. Um, it's, I guess it somewhat references Brock's, but it's also a different type of sword from Brock's. All right. 
Brandon, if you want to call into the Hangout this week, we can chat about the Diego Sanchez thing there. I do want to get on over to uh, two final things before we wrap up. Uh, we've alluded to takeover from Sunday night, but weigh some of your thoughts on the show. I I thought the show was excellent. Yeah, no, of course. Like it, it seems like you know it's a pretty expected thing to say after these takeovers. It was a very good show, like a lot of great in ring wrestling. So I find it interesting that some of the the criticism coming out of the show was that like. At this point, perhaps NXT sort of has a formula. Maybe there are too many kickouts. Maybe some of these matches we talked about, John, like six six matches on this card. Are any of them going to like be short? And no, like everything at least got thirteen minutes. Some matches got twenty seven. The main event got thirty three minutes. And I can definitely, I think, understand if people maybe felt a bit of tired tiredness for this particular takeover that maybe they didn't, they haven't. For this the show was still it was like three hours, like almost on the dot. Yes, it was. Yeah, but um, I maybe maybe with like have previous ones been this length, or have they been they've, short? They've done th- they've gone three before. Okay, so I mean, I, I enjoyed the 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 matches. Um, I I can't say like I was as emotionally invested in maybe like a match like Rhea Ripley versus Bianca Belair. Um, even Finn Balor versus Johnny Gargano, I respect that it was a, like a really good technical match, but I didn't really feel as emotionally invested to it as, as like some of the like previous NXT great matches. Um, I really love the main event, really love Bro- Broserweights versus Undisputed Era. I actually really liked Dakota Kai versus Tegan Knox as well. I thought it was I like, thought, I thought they worked really hard. I was, yeah. I, I thought Tegan worked very aggressively. They made, they kind of gave you the the feel that this was a grudge match. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought they worked really hard. I was the street fight exceeded my expectations. I would say Ripley and, and Bel Air was slightly below. Like it was a good match, but on of this entire card, if I had to rank them, that one's probably at the bottom. Sure, yeah, I could see that. And that's not really a big diss on this kind of a show because this was like this was a really solid card. I, I think this could be a contender for show of the year at the end of the year. Yeah, I, I, I was. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, but you know, uh, like uh, everything I was saying earlier. I mean, I I, I don't discount that criticism because um, maybe like um, like on, I, when we talk about perhaps like you know one of these recent New Japan shows, I feel like some of these shows offer so much variety in terms of style. Like we had like a John Moxley versus Minoru Suzuki, and then in the main event you would have something completely different. Then you have like Will Ospreay versus like Zack Saber Jr., and then you have Hiromu versus uh, uh, Ryu Lee, and and I don't necessarily feel like as much variety in terms of like the NXT style. Um, I think you, you have a lot of great matches, but I, I, I do understand some of the criticism when people say that they've kind of fallen on a bit of a formula of like doing too many kickouts, too many big moves matches all going over 10 minutes long. I, I thought that the main event it's, that's kind of just the thing now is that like these main events that have to go 30 plus minutes. And I really hope that, some companies kind of get out of that, and I think you would greatly – you could do a lot of good by just going out there and instead of going 33, going 21. And I think that people will – you're going to condition them then to know that these aren't going 30-plus minutes, that I think we're almost like in this habit now of realizing that on a, a big New Japan show, big NXT show, you're getting 30-plus minutes in, in the main event. And I think that – that can be trying with, with the with the crowd. I, I would say though that you know th- this audience was was with this thing for pretty much the the entire way de- down the stretch, mm-hmm. and they're going nuts for all these near falls. So it's like, do we like 
what audience are we catering to? If they're reacting, are they by default expecting all of this? And are we are we going to fall flat in this, you know, a high pressure situation in a main event by detouring from what this audience wants? Yeah, it's true. You know, I mean, you know, why why fix something that isn't broken? Because clearly all these crowds are loving all these shows. It's almost like an expected style that I think if you did Adam Cole versus Tommaso Ciampa that went five minutes long, a lot of people would be disappointed. Um, I suppose for me, like, I would love to see maybe more of a change, though, in style. I'd love to see more su- submission-based wrestling. That's something I think, you know, with the absence of Shayna Baszler, you're kind of missing on a, on a show like this. Um you know, which they have the guy in Kyle O'Reilly that could be yeah. that 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 guy. Like, sure. make that your North American title, or uh, or just p- pair off Kyle O'Reilly. Like, if you if you wanted to do that, that would be great. To that would be something totally different on a card, and you have one of the best in the world to do it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and no shortage of opponents either that I think could adapt very well. I I, I really love that tag match. I thought that. Matt Riddle was fantastic. Like all four of them were really great, but yeah. Matt Riddle to me, this Pete Dunn pairing, it's been the spotlight he has needed that I think even his biggest detractors have to be able to acknowledge the star potential that he possesses. Completely agree. It's been a great month for him. Um, this will be an inter- I think it'll be a really fun title run for, for these two with more skits, hopefully, and then perhaps further down the line, a match between them what did you think just closing on this the idea of doing it sunday night and with the extra match do you think that those changes uh, helped or hurt the presentation Mm, personally i didn't need the extra match you know but you're also talking to to somebody who watches over 10 hours of wrestling a week um so to me like one of the biggest benefits of an nxt takeover is that they are short and sweet they're with with no like you know, dead spots in between. Not to say there was there were any dead spots in this particular particular show, but it wasn't like I was craving another thirty minute or even a fifteen minute match by the time this this thing ended. So I personally didn't need it. Um, but Sunday, I really like. To me, that's kind of more routine for me. I like Sundays. I like the Sunday night as well. I thought it was um nice change of pace for a takeover card, and it was a weekend where there wasn't a crazy amount going on. They don't compete with a UFC event. So, yeah, it'll be interesting post WrestleMania, like when when they don't have the when it's on a standalone weekend, do they do Sundays? And I think it's it's worth doing as well. I think that it, it's still conditioned for people like that's the night of the week that you do your your wrestling pay per view. Mm-hmm. And I know AEW is trying to you know make Saturdays their night, but there's a lot less competition on a Sunday night as well. So there's there's that going for you after takeover it was the launch of the wwe's new ruthless aggression documentary series we got to watch part one uh first of all wait have you watched part one i did um they actually put up part two up today as well yes the second part is up which focuses on john cena the first one is the one that is getting all of the discussion i don't even know where to start with this i don't want to spend an inordinate amount of time about this because I could probably spend an hour talking about this show, and I do not want to do that. Um, what were your thoughts just overall, uh, just in terms of this idea, this particular subject matter, and some of the talking heads that they um, called upon for this uh, documentary? Uh, you know, when it first was, when it was first announced, I didn't really think too much of it. To be honest, like I've kind of dropped off on a lot of these 
um, WWE Network types of documentaries because we've just had so many of them. Mm-hmm. We have yeah. all these day ofs. Like, I'm sure they're still releasing these 24s, and they're just, like, there's such an abundance of them that I've just kind of, like, dropped off completely. But, like, once I heard, I think, a bit of buzz from from you and from other people talking about this Ruthless Aggression one, I sat down to watch it, and I really enjoyed it. It's a it's an area that, you know, of course, like, the Monday Night Wars have been talked about to death. They've been covered to death. Uh, Montreal's been covered to death. All these things have been covered to death. The period after that that though um hasn't really been documented as much so i found the first episode at least the subject matter really interesting what happens after you know uh <laughs> wwf wins this monday night war um what happens during the invasion what happens in, in the lead up from um you know after the rock and and steve austin leave um i i thought it was a really good idea for a show um, I, I, I think that this is kind of an, an untapped, um, area of their history that they haven't dived into. And, you know, with, with any of these WWE projects, it's like you have at your disposal pretty much anyone you want with the exception of a few. Uh, this one, I think certainly it was interesting just to have Brian Gewurz in. I cannot recall ever seeing this guy on camera for any WWE production. He has done the odd podcast interview, but to get him on there, um, I, I thought was, you know, uh, interesting insight from a guy that you have not heard from often. No Vince McMahon on this show. And pretty much in the Vince McMahon role was Bruce Pritchard, who, I mean, I, I just found his, hmm. I mean, it can't be shocking the perspective that he's coming at this with, but I thought he was a big negative on this show. I thought that in, this in was can care to I mean we can just start from the the invasion angle which I think is just cuz like I couldn't cuz I'm watching this I mean certainly I know there's a ton of exaggeration but I feel like a lot of people watching even myself probably like wouldn't pick up on as many of the inaccuracies as maybe somebody like you so let us know Well I mean the invasion is covered for about 13 minutes at the beginning of this and it's you know, after winning the war and what is next for them. And it's kind of just like the most simplistic explanation of why the invasion failed, that the WCW talent wasn't ready, that literally Bruce Pritchard saying our audience didn't know them, they didn't care, and they posed no threat to us. And I think that that's, to me, just very frustrating if you are somebody that they're acknowledging here in this thing, like how big this storyline was. And yes, you were not bringing in the Hogan's and the Goldberg's and the flares. You were bringing in your Booker T's, your diamond Dallas pages. And the fact is, regardless of whether people want to argue about the star power that WCW had, there's no mention here of like the ECW involvement. They just skirted past that. It's that that invasion pay-per-view did incredibly well. So you can talk about the lack of star power, but to say that the fan base didn't care is just totally bullshit to me. They, because they, they didn't that, say that, though. They, Bruce literally said the audience didn't know these people, they didn't pose any kind of threat, and they didn't care. Okay, I think that, to me, I, I took that comment to mean more about the storyline as a whole, and less so about that particular pay-per-view. Like, Gerwitz did say expectations were incredibly high. People were thinking that they were going to see dream matches. And to me, I feel like that pay-per-view was sold based on that alone. 
I don't even know like how many of the people that were watching at the time. Like, I don't know. I don't, I'm I'm not so sure. Like, I'm not so sure that everybody who ordered that show was following the stories like week to week. You know, uh, or maybe they were just more so more so sold on the fact that it was WCW versus WWE for the first time. Like, but uh, nonetheless, I took that comment to mean more like expectations were very high but however the cast that we did have representing wcw our current audience did not care for i think that it's impossible to explain the failure of the invasion without it falling at the hands of your creative for that invasion nobody forced them to bring in diamond dallas page as the stalker nobody decided to bring these wcw guys in and beat them like drums from the get-go and the argument about lack of star power, you could not come up with a lack of star power to me than the cast and crew that were part of that horrific first season of NXT that were made stars in about 10 minutes by just wiping out the top guys with the Nexus invasion. And you had a red hot storyline in 10 minutes with guys that were presented as jokes on that NXT thing pulling around beer kegs and just acting like idiots. And for 10 minutes, they made that thing super hot with people that had minimal name value. Yeah, that's a very good point. Certainly they did not take much credit for um, the stalker stuff. Um, I, I feel like I do wonder if he was, you know, he wasn't the top end star in WCW, but in 98, he wasn't that far off from it. And it's not like they were working with, Nothing. And I just I I I just thought it was very the way they positioned it. Yes, you had some WCW talent who were, you know, a year or two out of the power plant and they were probably not ready for big positions. But to just paintbrush everybody like that, I would have been furious if I was a Lance Storm, a Chavo Guerrero, like some of the guys that came in there that within a few years, you're relying on these people as your your trainers on Tough Enough in OVW, it, it, guys that were Arn Anderson, Dean Malenko, these are road agents in WWF. So it's like you can't just dismiss the WCW way of doing things when we adopted a lot of these guys. We signed all these guys. And I mean, that to me, it's just it was a to me a meaningless excuse for like to me, the invasion. It was a creative misfire. Like they just totally bungled this thing. Right, yeah. Um I don't disagree. Yeah. I I also don't discount the fact that they even if like creative was really good, I still feel like it would have failed based on I think the expectations that were set forth with the idea of a WWE versus WCW feud simply because they didn't have I think most fans vision of what WCW was. I mean, you could also look at the fact that I mean Every one of those names eventually did come in that I think you could certainly look at. They started the invasion at the wrong time mm-hmm. that you could have waited. Um, you, could, you could have waited until some of these. And ultimately, they could have brought in any of these stars if they had felt that it was worth paying them that. Um, I just don't believe that with the crew you had, especially after you did that ECW injection you had a red hot angle that night you formed the Alliance that you had more than enough to work with for a long period of time that any shortcomings 
of the WCW stars, you more than made up with by having all the key players with ECW with a dynamic leader in Paul Heyman to lead that charge that I mean, that should have been two years right there. Really, really, I think what we were looking for is a documentary about the WWF WCW invasion. Um, Oh, I, I couldn't after this. Like, seriously, I could not possibly get through that. Um, well, I mean, what, what I'm trying to say is this whole thing was basically condensed into such a short portion because, I mean, this was about the ruthless aggression and, and the, the invasion really just kind of serves as a chapter. Well, we also got I, – I don't want to uh, over overlook the great naming from Mark Jindrak, who agreed with everything here that was said about the WCW talent being poor. Um, and then WCW was bought out by Mr. Vince. Mr. Vince. Yes. Mr. Vince. Wow. Um, Jim Cornette was contacted for this, which I'm guessing that with Jim Ross gone, they need someone to be the face of OVW. And Jim Cornette becomes that person, because I would say if Jim Ross, who would have been greatly needed here. And I think um, when his book comes out, I'm sure you will get a a different perspective on this invasion. Um, Jim Ross would have been in this position as kind of the guy speaking on behalf of OVW as opposed to Cornette. Yes. Um, and then we go into like this post-invasion period where it's the introduction of the brand split. Um, Brian Gewurz kind of explained about this period that we've talked about a lot, that they were purposely trying to maintain their edge, but it wasn't organic anymore. And it was being forced. And I mean, this was a several-year period, I think, that they were stuck in this, where it was – living off the fumes of the Attitude Era when it was dated, when it was lame, and you got some horrific ideas during this period. And they, um, Brian Gortz was pretty, you know, matter-of-fact about that. Um, they discussed the the brand split, and then it was the loss of Steve Austin, the loss of The Rock, and this is where it's the first time I've ever heard Anyone try to kind of defend the Austin Lesnar booking that, of course, led to Austin's walkout. And Austin is, you know, he's talked many, many times about just how fried he was at this point. He probably needed to be off the road at this time. But nevertheless, it was, I think it was Gortz here who explained that Vince's reaction was, well, by the time we're ready to make money off of this match in a few years, no one's going to remember this on TV anyway. And it's like immaterial for this specific example, but I think it does go to a greater understanding of Vince McMahon's level of sophistication. He feels his audience is at that. This is very disposable entertainment and what we do today. No one's going to remember anyway. And I think it's just an interesting outlook that this decision ultimately was the nail in the coffin for your biggest star to walk off at a time when you knew the rock was, you know, had one foot out the door and I mean, it was just a, it was just a terrible idea to do this unadvertised on TV. I, I think you can understand Austin's side of this, but it was to me more interesting just to hear Vince McMahon's reaction when apparently this match was pitched to him, and his idea was acknowledging how big of a money match this is, but this doesn't really matter. It tells you a lot about it. I think his philosophy is relating to television and how disposable he sees these these shows are. And that's why you get three hours of raw because it's just three hours of garbage that that's that's only supposed to exist for this week, and we're not supposed to remember it anyway. Um, so, yeah, 
Um, there was that point, and then I guess just the most insane thing on this thing was the chapter dedicated to the rebranding of the WWF to WWE, <laughs> which saved them. Saved I the can't company. believe I, I had never heard this story before. So on this piece, what happens is business is down. What's Vince McMahon going to do to turn things around? Well, one day he woke up and he said, you know what? You know what's holding us back? It's the name of this company. We're going to change the name, which is an unbelievable story. And it's just the furthest thing from any semblance of reality that it's just crazy. They not not want. Can you imagine way doing an explanation of that name change and the World Wildlife Fund is never even mentioned? I can't fathom it. I can't fathom the laziest reporter, not at least explaining the World Wildlife Fund's attachment to that, much less a, a court case that the WWF lost. I mean, it was this was just what am I watching here? Like, what is the point of this? This is just Man. so shoddy. Like, I don't even know. I'm sure that there are people that just watch this for pure entertainment value. But oh, it's yeah, that's fiction me. here. That's me. Like, I don't I don't think about these things at all. Like, I mean, I do think about them. But I just laugh at them. Like to me, it's just, this is no more real than I think watching Raw or SmackDown. It's just like you know, it's it's to me, it's just a promo. But um, I'd love to know like the planning of this show, the producers of this show, and how they had to somehow like. I guess this was all really just a setup for the ruthless aggression thing, and this was your bridge, and somehow your bridge to get from. Oh man, we lost The Rock. We lost Steve Austin. You know, uh, attendance is down. Um, oh man, business is just not up. What saved the WWE? <laughs> Changing our name on a whim from WWF to WWE. Uh, and Vince McMahon is a genius because it worked. You got it's the F out. We saved the company. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's, I just like, I can't imagine somebody like, I don't know if it's just out of convenience or if it's like maybe somebody back there tried to tell the proper story and, they just said, we have to cut this, we have to cut this, we have to cut this for whatever reason, whether it be time or, I don't know, something else. But I, it, 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 it is just another example of, I think, you know, these works and I think um, making sure, like, that WWE doesn't really look bad out of coming out of it, you know? We can't lose anything. We can't even lose a legal battle to the WW World Wildlife Fund. Um, yeah. But I don't. I don't watch these things really as anything more than entertainment. I mean, I, I, I can't help but but watch this with, with like my perspective on this, and I just like I take these for what they are. I'm not. I'm not sitting down and assuming that I am uh, watching, um, you know, a what, what, documentary version of an observer from this time period. What? what sorry. Yeah. No. Go ahead. Well, what I mean is, like, what I'm really interested to know is, like, some of these interviews that they use to support this idea that WWE was saved because they changed a letter from F to E. Um, <laughs> like, it's just I, I need to know what the proper context is for these interviews, because I can't imagine, seriously, somebody like Bruce Pritchard, who has a, a very popular podcast, I'm sure... Uh, no matter what you think of him, I'm sure he he tries to maintain a level of credibility 
where he doesn't sound like an idiot who might truly believe something like this. I can't imagine for a second that the question that we got the answer to on this show, like was the exact question that was, um, that seemed like it was posed to him in this. Like it had to have been a different question, right? It probably was a question that was like, Oh man, what did you think of like when WWF had to change their name to WWE? And you got a lot of answers from people saying like, Oh yeah, it was a big change. Yeah. And then cut. <laughs> Business was great afterwards, you know? Like, I'd love to know the amount of editing and the original questions that might have taken place for some of these people because they look terrible coming out of it. All I will say is that by the end of this, it's that I do not want to hear anyone inside of this company ever look down upon the wrestling media or hear any more stuff about, because not even the laziest reporter would ever turn in something like this. There, if if you were tasked with covering any of this at any reputable outlet, you would be fired. There, John, for, there are no journalists. Like out. There are no journalists walking working on this. Like it's 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 segment producers. You know, like probably similar segment producers to the ones that create your your uh, pay per view promos. Or like, I don't know. Music it's videos. lying. Like, that's what this is. This is lying. Like, that's all I am watching here. It's just like, yeah. it is not even playing with the truth. It's disregarding it completely and making something completely out of thin air to present. And I just don't even know. Like, it's just, I don't know. I get nothing out of this beyond nothing. Yeah. I mean, I just see it as like, you know, content for the network. It's just like entertainment hours, you know? But anyway, were there any other <laughs> were there any other qualms? Well, no. The WWE <laughs> saved the WWF, and they went on to, I, I guess, great heights afterwards. It was all Vince McMahon. What a, what a dream he must have had that night to wake up and realize that it was um, just just a portion of a letter that was necessary. Like just change that F to an E, and we're we're off to the races. What yeah, a great idea! That was pretty. It was pretty ridiculous. That whole section. Uh, how did how does it end? I forget now. Is that it? I, I think that's how they ended. Um, <laughs> our narrator was my favorite, Michael Rappaport. He's gotten more work out of the WWE Network for this. Who? <laughs> this was the one quote I wrote down. <laughs> Prophetic words, to say the least. Shortly thereafter, the company was reimagined and rebranded in typical McMahon fashion. Oh, World Wrestling Entertainment. Get the F out. Oh, fuck. He must have... God. Did you... I felt like he was a lot less rapaport than he typically is. You know? I feel like he they, they really dialed him his, like, accent back on this one. It's it's really hard. I think with narration, it's really down to your specific um, taste when it comes to a narrator. I, I prefer someone that it's almost as though they're it's less noticeable. Uh, and with Michael Rappaport, why would you like, even get him then? Why wouldn't you just get a generic? I don't think they want Never. generic. They obviously really like having Michael Rappaport. They wouldn't be using him if they didn't. But so. I sound, I, I did not sense like as much of, of like that thick New York accent this time around, but maybe that's just me. Um, what, what is, what, what's the other one he does for them? Is it, um, three Is that one the one those. he does? He does yeah. one of them anyway. So I guess there's, this is a five part series um, I saw the uh, I saw most of the Cena one, and the second one is called Enter John Cena, and it's really just like a documentary about John Cena at like his early years. You know how they talk about um, 
he um he was somebody who was a, a project of a lot of uh, of OVW uh, he was in a class that was later than Batista's, but Batista himself says, you know, it felt like this guy was better than than us, had advanced more than us. Uh, talks about how he was touring with the WWE brand doing house shows. And one day for this Kurt Angle segment, they needed somebody and they asked him. And the first thing is, uh, he says when he first meeting he had with Vince McMahon was Vince McMahon telling him to cut his hair. And um, they showed that really it was just like a John Cena documentary. So I certainly if you're going to talk about this ruthless aggression era, he is the central figure of it all. So I understand it Um, talks about how, you know, the story I feel like he's told before in DVDs. He where um, he was about to be let go. But then like people were freestyling on the bus. So he joined in and Vince uh, Stephanie saw it was really impressed. So told him told him to do it on TV and then. Did it on TV and I mean, the rest is history. So it, very straightforward, I would say, for for the Cena one. Yeah, um, I believe he's on some because they put out like the um, uh, descriptions of the like the five episodes. And I believe Paul Heyman will show up in later ones. But he was one name that was um, certainly it was uh, kind of crazy that you didn't have him in this first one at all, given the the invasion and the brand split um, that to me would be a voice he would certainly want in this section. But I guess we'll probably hear from him. I think they, yeah, they have a, a whole list of guys that they've interviewed for this. Were you surprised by any uh, appearances from people? Brian Gewertz, it just was not one I was expecting. Um, I, I think that this, it really did lack kind of having that um, credible authority. I didn't feel we really had that person like a role that like a Jim Ross would serve in a lot of these kinds of uh, WWE uh, presentations. Um, mm-hmm. I think that it, it, this certainly could have been enhanced by that, but I, I don't think like they kind of had their own story here that they were, that they were weaving. So I don't even know how well that would have like, imagine in that WWF story, like we're just cutting to someone telling the, the complete opposite of this, of what actually happened. Like it just, it just wouldn't fit here. It'd be like hearing two different versions of reality, except one is real. And one is this that we're watching. Where does it end? Like what, what, what exactly is the end of the ruthless aggression era? Which, Um, which I mean, really, is that like, is that actually an era? It is now they've branded it as such, so it's um, so. So where does it end? What like what? Where does it start? I guess it starts what two thousand two. Well, yeah, that's the that's their kickoff period. Um, I was looking up the descriptions here. Um, it sounds like this is just going to be. You know what will be interesting is that throughout this documentary series, are the first six months of two thousand four even going to exist? Uh, right. Primarily because you know one of the major focal points of this era was Chris Benoit. And yeah. personally, I, I see no reason why you couldn't simply go over Chris Benoit as a subject here during this time period. No, I mean, this no is not, way. I don't see that happening. See, I that's mean, just bizarre. Like that's just, it shouldn't be though. The, the guy's not even like by this, it's not like you're honoring WWE. him. You're not putting him on some pedestal. You're documenting your history. So Anyway, I don't think you can. There. I think I think at, by this point, like several years into this whole network thing, like the, and the links that they've gone to to like completely wipe this guy out of like this system. How though? Like all his matches are there. Well, what, they don't feature him would they in get? any way. 
in no form do they ever feature him. They don't put him even on the little dots in between to showcase show where his matches are. So the fact that it, he would get any sort of like mention in this, I I think would have to be a bit more of a I don't know significant thing. Like what would they even? They might sh- maybe show him in the background, but I can't. Like they've they've tried to sanitize him so much or sanitize like this thing so much of Chris Benoit that I just don't see them like doing that. I, um, I'm just looking at it from, from the point of view if you were actually to you know you know write something on like the history of this time period 2002 to 2004 you would never omit that. But right. again, that's not what this is designed to be. They they, so, they had Cena uh, like uh, beating Big Show in the Cena one at WrestleMania 20. If that means anything, um, well, what, what what I'm trying to get at is where does it end? Where does the ruthless aggression era end? Does it end with like, um, I don't know, like the passing of Eddie Guerrero? Does it end with like the passing of Chris Benoit? Like where where or does it end somewhere before that? After that? Like what exactly is is sort of the end of this? I'm looking up. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't know what 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 they consider the uh, the timeline for this. I mean, they've got five episodes here. Um, and what is the current era called? Um, this is the uh, the reimagined era. They love that word reimagined. Reimagined era. My um, my fiance was was commenting on like all the buzzwords or all the like all the words that we hear often on Raw because like she'll just like sit around with me as, as I'm watching these shows. So like by this point, like she knows all the terms. Heinous is a word that is said way too often on WWE commentary, as well as the word irate, like Corey Graves or whoever just <laughs> loves to say the word irate. So those two words look for heinous and okay. irate. Okay. I've got the descriptions here. So um, it mentions here that, yeah, Paul Heyman was interviewed for this. So he'll be in an upcoming one. Um, so the uh, John Cena was episode two. Episode three focuses on evolution Episode four, the next big thing. So that's on Brock. And episode five is Civil War, Raw versus SmackDown. Go in depth on WWE's groundbreaking decision to split its roster between two brands, Raw and SmackDown, from the myriad behind-the-scenes challenges to the intense competition that erupted between the brands and their superstars. Well, I felt a lot of that was kind of – they dove into that in episode one. Mm -hmm. I guess they'll go further into it. Uh, There there is the potential for some great – cuts back and forth between Heyman and Brian Gortz. Oh, yeah. That would be pretty entertaining of those two who are often uh, opposing one another in terms of uh, your Raw and SmackDown uh, writers. So um, so that's the last one? Yeah. I, I give absolutely no promise that I will uh, hmm. be making it to episode five, but um, that's the series, everybody. If you want to... Um, well, if you want to watch episode one, I, I suggest afterwards you'll Probably, I, I don't know what to say. I feel like this was like great promo for that series, or at least the portion where they talk about uh, WWE being saved by changing a letter. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of like Quentin Tarantino's reinterpretation of like the Sharon Tate case in sure. um, like once if you want to in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, this is like Once Upon a Time in WWF history um, before it was reimagined as WWE. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. We have gone long enough, everybody. So thank you for tuning in. 
Wayne and I will be back Tuesday night with a review of The Wrestler from 1974. That will be available for patrons. And then Wednesday night with Rewinded Dynamite. Again, you can go to postwrestling.com slash live for all of our information on our live show in Tampa happening Sunday, April 5th at noon Eastern time. Tickets on sale this Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So go check that out. $5 off for all patrons uh, for tickets on Thursday. All right. Goodbye, everybody.